Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with my podcast partner, Gord Vickman, and this is the next episode of Podcast Payoff. This is a very exciting new medium, and just before we get started on some specific topics for this one, talk about some of the research that you're getting back on the trustability of podcasts compared to other media which have traditionally been used for people to get across their point or get across their product or service, that the response of podcast listeners as opposed to, say, TV watchers or or broadcast radio, could you tell us about the general trend that you're noticing? This is backed up by research. Sure. So there's some podcast data, scientists, data analytics companies that dive really deep into the numbers. And some of the analytics you can see, if you want to get super nerdy with this stuff and you want to dive right into it, there are graphs and there are charts that you can see and you can look at an entire show from the beginning to the end and you can see where people drop off. You can see where people join. You can see where they stop, where they start. You can see certain things that are skipped. You can see spikes in listenership and you can see where people are being retained and where you're losing them. And you look at all the traditional mediums. You look at live television, recorded television, newspapers, traditional media, live radio, and then you look at podcasts. So This is a podcast analytics company teamed up with Edison Research, and they found that the number one medium that people are trusting now in order to take action in regards to checking out a product or service is podcasts. So about half of people who are consuming podcasts for a number of hours per week trust the podcast medium more so than any other media entity that is out there. So podcasts, if you're going head to head with traditional radio, which has been around now for a hundred years and television, which has not been around for a hundred years, but it's been around for a long time. Newspapers have been around since the printing press came to be. Podcasts in a very short period of time, we're talking less than a decade, have now become according to this research, the most trustworthy mm-hmm. of all the mediums that you can you know, share your message on. And that's why we're doing it here at Strategic Coach, because we have a lot of information to share. You have a lot of insights mm-hmm. and tools that we can share. And that's part of the reason why you jumped into the space in the first place, right? Yeah. And I have to tell you, it was a learned skill because I came into podcasts just because of my trust in Joe Polish, who was already a good podcaster. And he said, you know, if we just chatted you know, about issues related to 10 times growth using entrepreneurial methods and marketing methods. He said, I think there'd be a big audience. And we're actually in the top podcast in the world right now for marketing and business, according to iTunes. So the big thing about it is, and we've already covered this, my whole point is that I want to talk about things with a partner that I know that entrepreneurs are really interested in, and I'm really interested in the things that entrepreneurs are really interested in, and I wanna share insights about the entrepreneurial experience because I personally, every quarter, interact with about 500 really, really successful, ambitious entrepreneurs, and my insights are constantly being reformed, and I wanna bring people up to date on how I'm thinking about entrepreneurism. And each of my podcast series reflects on entrepreneurism from a different point of view, depending on what the topic is and also who the partner is that I have. But this is a big issue, I mean, from the standpoint, because One of the things that I've known, Gord, because since we started the company, 
you know, in 1989, so we're just crossing the 30-year mark for Strategic Coach as a workshop program for entrepreneurs. It's been harder and harder to get attention out there just because of the vast competition using conventional existing media, including the telephone, by the way. I'd say, you know, in 1989, if we were trying to call a prospect, first of all, it was on a landline, and there was a 50% chance that the person would be there. There was a 50% chance that if the person was there, they would pick up the phone and you could talk to them. Now you have no possibility of doing that today because everybody's after that person's attention, you know. Now it's not landlines, it's mobile and, you know, it's email and they have ways of screening out. So your chances of actually getting someone's attention that you could actually talk to them has gone down. But for some reason, podcasts has opened up this entirely new way and it's entirely voluntary on the part of the listener that they're mm -hmm. going to listen to what they're interested in. I think it's the intimacy of the human voice. I think storytelling is so deeply ingrained into our, our lizard brains. It's right in there. We've talked about this on the show before. We're all here because of food, water, shelter, and stories. We needed all those things for sustenance and survival and protection. But at some point, somebody turned to someone in your lineage and said, don't go over there because there's something dangerous over mm -hmm. there. And that's why we're here today. The storytelling tradition was as important and it thrills me and it's fun for me because this is what I do and this yep. is what I love to do this is my unique ability it's producing these shows and bringing them to light and making them better and marketing them and this is yep. what I love to do and I'm thrilled that now it's sort of like a renaissance of the storytelling tradition yep a lot of people didn't think it was going to happen a lot of people thought this would be a flash in the pan podcasts weren't really going to take off and yes there are a lot of them right now and those that are done well are going to have longevity they're going to have heritage and those that are maybe people are just kind of messing around with and are not investing the time necessary to do it properly well those ones are going to disappear and maybe they should maybe there isn't enough space for everyone to do this there's not equality of outcome but there's equality of opportunity everybody can get a microphone and tell a story and if yours is better than those which you are competing against, you are going to survive where the others will falter. Yeah, and the big thing here, for example, you know, every quarter I come up with a brand new entrepreneurial idea, and this particular quarter is called Always Be the Buyer. Most of the emphasis in the entrepreneurial world is how to be a master seller. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, let's just check out your experience there. And I said, I'm going to list you two different types of experiences that you've had as an entrepreneur. First of all, I'm gonna give you a definition of the difference between a seller and a buyer. And I said, the definition of a seller is someone who can be rejected. Mm -hmm. The definition of a buyer is someone who does the rejecting. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna have you write down three of your worst experiences of being rejected as a seller and then I'm going to list three of the most enjoyable experiences of you rejecting something or someone as the buyer. And they do that. And I said, now compare those two experiences. How many of you have gotten to the point where in lots of different areas of your life as an entrepreneur, you are in a position to really raise your standards about what kind of opportunities are interesting to you? what kind of collaborations are interesting, what kinds of products and services you really wanna be involved with in the marketplace, but especially what kind of customers or clients do you wanna have? And then people who you want working next to you inside your company. 
And I would say that if you have improved enormously as an entrepreneur, I mean, you've obviously gotten better at selling, but I want to suggest to you that the real reason why you've gotten better at selling is because you've got really good at rejecting a lot of things that you don't want to get involved in. And every time you choose to reject, I just can't deal with this type of client. I don't care how big the check is. I just don't want to be involved with that person. Your confidence takes a jump. And as a result, what you consider selling is the fact that somebody just bought because there are certain standards that you will not forsake Mm -hmm. in order to get a check. And we're very attracted to people who have standards and that people who will twist themselves into any kind of shape to get a check, we have no respect for You shared a story in a workshop, and to my knowledge, we haven't shared it on any of the podcasts, but it was a client, we don't have to name names to protect the innocent, but it was a client who was looking to exit the business, and he was thinking of himself as the seller. He had a conversation with you, and you encouraged him to essentially flip it around to become the buyer, and he rejected the first offer, I believe it was, and and we're talking billions of dollars here. Well, it was a billion. Billion with a B, not billion with an M. (laughs) So what happened? I've had this a lot. You know, I've been coaching entrepreneurs for 45 years, and two things happen. One is they have a company for a long time, and they just decide to get out of business altogether, and they get offers. Their company is up for sale, and, you know, the strategy in the marketplace is a lot of people only want to pay a certain amount for the company. Okay. The other aspect is that they have an existing business and then a new business idea actually arose, which they're more excited about in the future. The first business, they're not excited about really putting a lot of effort in the future, but the new business and what they really want, they want money for what they've already created. But the big thing is that they want freedom of time so they can develop the new business. And this was the case that I mentioned. So we have a particular tool in Coach, and any of the listeners on Podcast Payoff who are in Coach, they know this is the number one tool that I use to get clear you know, about going into any situation called the impact filter. So I had him do the impact filter, and I said, I know there's negotiations on this, and I know they've already made you an offer, but I'd like you to stand back from that for about an hour and just say, If this were just the perfect exit for me, this is what the sale would actually give me. And I said, don't even think, I don't even know if this is possible. It's not a question of whether it's possible. What do you really want? And he did it and he showed it to me and he said, but I know they won't go for it. And I said, we don't know that. We only know what's going on in your mind. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote it and then he went into the meeting and he didn't show them the sheet But he gave them the three conditions, and the three conditions, he wanted the check in one lump amount. (laughs) And the next day, he wasn't in that company, because most buyouts, you have to agree that you'll stay with the company for a couple of years, you know. And then it's the worst of both worlds, because you're not really the owner anymore, but you have to show up as almost an employee to your own business. And you're dealing with your own team, because they just bought your team, And your team is really confused because 
they don't know who the owner is, they don't know who the boss is, and the other thing is, it's preventing you from getting on to what you actually want to get to, and the other thing that will be insisted upon is whatever the new thing is you're creating that can't compete with the thing that you are selling. Okay, so those are the three conditions. <laughs> and his three was, I want a single check, tomorrow I'm not there, and I'm not agreeing to anything about what I'm gonna create next. And they said, well, you know, you just don't understand. I mean, yeah, no, this is ridiculous. You don't understand it. But he knew one thing, is that he had created something that this other company really needed. And the longer they went without the solution he had created, the more their competitors would disadvantage him. Hmm. And he said to them, the check, a billion dollars, he said, I want you to know right up front that in the next 10 years, I'm gonna make a billion dollars anyway. So whether you give me the billion dollars or the marketplace gives me a billion dollars, I'm gonna get the billion dollars. But he said, I wanna get free and clear to get on with something new. So this really isn't about the money, it's about freedom. But it's worth a billion dollars, so write me the check and don't ask me to show up tomorrow morning. And as far as non-compete, he said, nobody can guarantee that. Non-competes don't really show up. I got good lawyers, they can get me out of the non-compete if you insist on it. And they said, absolutely not. And then the days went by, and this is where you know courage is really required on the part of an entrepreneur. Sure. But he had this sheet, and he put it right in his vest pocket every day because it was next to his heart. And on the 10th day in the afternoon, they said, okay, whatever you want. But here's the point. He wasn't the seller. He was actually the buyer. He turned the buyers into the seller because they had to sell him that they would meet as 100% conditions. So, so many people sell, and then the other person can just really manipulate you because they know you need the sale. He didn't need the sale, and he told them, I don't need the sale here. He said, I can bring in a good team, and they can run it, and it doesn't use up any more of my time. But he said, I'd just like to be clear and free of it. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting ways, looping this back to podcast, the podcast can help you as an entrepreneur find those right clients where you become the buyer and not the seller. A lot of people attribute this to uh, Seth Golden, but it was actually Kevin Kelly, who's the founder of Wired Magazine. Very bright guy. 2008. Two very bright people, by the way. Indeed. He wrote this essay called 1,000 True Fans. So if you're a creator, an artist, musician, photographer, craftsperson, performer, this is Kevin's, not me, animator, designer, video maker, let's just throw podcasts in there. All you really need to do is acquire 1,000 true fans to make a living. And what is a true fan? True fans are someone you can describe as someone who will purchase anything and everything you produce. So the podcast space right now seems very crowded. And a lot of people, when they ask questions about it, they say, well, why would I just create another one? Why would I throw it out there? Because there's already 10,000 podcasts about real estate. There's 10,000 podcasts about finance. There's maybe more. But if you can put out that podcast and provide quality and value to the people, you're going to acquire those 1,000 true fans. You're going to weed through all those people, and you're going to be able to find those people that will become your true fans. So I just wanted to get your thoughts, Dan, on how did Strategic Coach go from essentially starting out, you know, we've just eclipsed the 30th year of Strategic Coach. How did you find your 1,000 true fans? Well, it dates back 15 years before we went to the workshop program where I had a one-on-one coaching and I developed a reputation you know, during that, a positive reputation. And so when I started the workshop program, you know, instead of working with one person all day, we had, and now it's up to 70 or 80 people in the room at the same time, 
I already had a momentum of people who had successful experience and I could rely on their referrals. What I did, I was a one-on-one coach and then I said, in six months, I'll do no more one-on-one coaching. If you wanna be you know, coached by me, you have to be in the workshop program. And it was very interesting, 70% said no, but 30% said yes, and it was enough to get a beachhead and then I built from there. But within the next two years, about uh, you know half of the people who said no came across, and to a person they said that was an improvement, that the, actually they got a lot more out of the workshop setting because one-on-one they just had a conversation with me, but in the workshop they had conversations, multiple conversations, and it was much more multidimensional. The people who are the most vocal advocates for strategic coach, in my experience here, are the people that are in the workshops themselves and the coaches themselves. They are the ones that are spreading the message without you even having to say anything. Yeah. I would say this, too, is that if you're in a, you know, one of the restricted mediums, you're paying enormous attention to your competitors. Mm -hmm. But in the podcast world, I don't even have the foggiest idea who my competitors are because all I'm looking for is the issues of the listeners. I love the listeners, I love the people, and I'm just looking for people who are also interested in this particular topic. So I don't pay any attention. First of all, it's an unlimited medium. You're on the internet, there's no frequency restrictions on, I mean, there's 760,000, you know, one of your recent counts scored in the middle of the summer. Probably couple, higher now. But, yeah, a couple yeah. months, but if it was 7.6 million, it wouldn't matter. If it was 7.6 billion, it wouldn't matter. You've got an unrestricted medium. There's no competitors for your particular space. Mm-hmm. By its very nature, every other medium is very, very restricted because they're dealing with a scarcity of delivery system. And there's gatekeepers too. If you want to have a radio show in terrestrial radio, you have to first convince someone to allow you to do that. If you want to write a newspaper article, you have to convince the editor to allow you to do that. We have a pirate ship. (laughs) We don't have to answer to anybody here. We can talk about anything we want. And anybody who has a podcast, you can talk about essentially anything you want. There is no barrier. There's no gatekeeper. You can say what you want and you can provide the value to find those 1,000 true fans. I'll scale it down even further. Don't look for 1,000. Start with one because zero to one is the biggest jump you're ever going to have as an entrepreneur or as a creator. I'm not talking about billion dollar companies here, but even as an artist, to go from zero to one, to find that one person who's going to share your message with one more person, to be that influencer, to become that vocal advocate, that's how you turn from zero to one is the hardest, and then one to two, two to four, four to eight, and so on and so forth. And that's how Coach grew because people would say, well, why would I start another one? And I'll loop this back, and you've brought this up before as well, Dan. It's like, if you're producing value, it doesn't matter if there's seven trillion business podcasts. If people find you and like you, that's a free zone frontier. That's a free zone frontier, and I mean, it's your own universe. And all you have to do is remain consistent to your basic principles and the value creation proposition that you are doing. And I would say the big thing is, and partially it was us just by the way we developed them, and also it was your insight, Gord, that we're not trying to sell the strategic coach program here. We're trying to create a new kind of value creation that people who are interested in entrepreneurism and people who are certainly already in strategic coach, 
that if we spend a half hour talking about this, like podcasts we are, maybe a number of our clients and customers in Strategico say, you know, I'm going to try that podcast thing. And they've given me a lot of encouragement here. And it's a lot simpler than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. To me, the prize to us for doing a good podcast is somebody found it really useful and goes out and makes an improvement as a result of that. People love to share information that helped them improve or helped them create a jump in their life, especially if it helped them create a massive jump in, in their entrepreneurial career or in their personal life or whatever. You go on social media, so much of it is, okay, if you disregard all the people who are whining and complaining, a lot of social media is just sharing, people sharing articles. I have a Twitter account, but I don't use it to complain or to yell at anybody. I've never said a, a negative word to anybody. I follow artists and I follow writers and I follow thinkers and people who are interested in you know philosophy because they share things. They curate essentially reading lists that I don't have time to go and find these on my own. And that's what people are going to do. They're gonna become fans of you first, that zero to one jump, and then they're gonna start sharing the value that you provide, and that is how you kind of inch your way to that yeah. 1,000 true fans, which is all you really, now 10,000 is better than 1,000, and 100 times is better than that even, but 1,000 is the number that you're aiming for, and you can truly make a living in any venture you'd like with those 1,000 true fans. Well, I would say this, because it's a exponential medium, that the difficulty of getting from one person to a hundred persons is 10 times more difficult than getting from a hundred to 10,000. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Well, because you create momentum. So each person who's a hundred, you know, part of the hundred probably knows 10 other people. The audience is your multiplier. It's not your advertisers that are your multiplier. It's your customers who are the multiplier. And they say, yeah, listen to this. You know, you ought, to, you ought to listen to this. You know, this is really interesting. And we know it's five to one now from Carrie Oberbrunner, who does our Audible, mm -hmm. that for every person who reads a book today, five people listen to the book. And that was four times about two years ago. So we know the trend line here is towards greater and greater listenership. And the reason is because you have to have structured, dedicated time to read, but listening can go on in a much broader number of situations for people. It's free education, essentially, and it's all available. There's never been a better time to be alive because virtually all human knowledge is available online and it's for free. Yes. You can make a case that you don't really have to go to school or pay someone to learn anything anymore because if you're self-directed and you have the discipline, you can probably get a good, I'm not suggesting brain surgery or anything of that regard, but most of the knowledge for most of the things that people want to learn about is available online through podcasts and audiobooks, and it's just a wonderful thing. I think podcast, Gord, has really been one of the greatest disruptors of predictions about the future, about how humanity was going to go and how communication was going to take place. And I think it's caught everybody by surprise. And it's kind of funny because it's kind of resistant to monopolization. TV networks got monopolized. Movie industry gets monopolized. Newspaper. Yeah, you know, cable gets monopolized. But by its very nature, you can't have a node like Google that dominates the podcast world. For every podcast there is, there's a network of listeners who are passionately devoted just to that podcast. And if the podcaster, you know, the person who's doing the podcast, just remains true to the purpose of creating value for their particular listeners, my prediction is 
that there will be a constant flow of new material for them to create even greater value, and there will be a constant expansion of the audience who wants that particular type of value, and it can't be bought out, it can't be monopolized, and everything like that. It's immune to all the other trends that we've seen in the technological world. It's a totally, totally counter movement back towards humanity, but by using technology. Podcast payoffs, build your own pirate ship, entrepreneurs, and set sail. Thanks so much, Dan. Thank you.